0: Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello and welcome to a new season of Fresh Takes on Tech. This season, we are tackling climate smart agriculture, or CSA, as those who love acronyms like to say. Last year, USDA announced partnerships to support the production and marketing of climate smart commodities via a set of pilot projects lasting one to five years. USDA invested $2.8 billion in 70 selected projects, one of which is the International Fresh Produce Association's Vibrant Future Project. The goal of this project is to provide funds and technical assistance to growers who are interested in trialing climate-smart production practices. The growers will leverage food safety traceability systems for tracking climate benefits of these practices, then use this traceable information to help growers tell their stories of sustainability. That grant is also supporting this podcast in part. This season, we will speak with experts in climate smart agriculture. Welcome to the season. Today, we are going to start off the podcast about Climate Smart Ag with Renee Vasilos, Director of Agriculture Innovation at the Nature Conservancy. So Renee, I was trying to think back when we met, so it was 2017 on a hike in Montana. Do you remember that? That was so great. That was fantastic. I do remember. You were not with the Nature Conservancy. I was not with IFPA. And we were with a bunch of other amazing women talking about ag tech. It was really phenomenal. So that was a great way to meet you. Yes, such a treat. I wish that could happen more often, right? I do too. We should just go to Montana. Okay, back to Climate Smart Ag. This is the first episode in this series. So I'm gonna have you do a little bit of explaining of what Climate Smart is, just to kind of get us all on the same page. What is Climate Smart Ag and what are some of the benefits?
1: So I will, this is maybe what you'll come across through the podcast, but I will say how we think of it at the Nature Conservancy. And for us, as we think about climate smart agriculture, what it is rooted in, no pun intended, our production practices on farm and on ranch that are critical for rebuilding soil health. So that's kind of the underlying goal as we think about it is we need to rebuild soil health for its climate change mitigating role, for its role in supporting freshwater systems, for its role in supporting biodiversity, And so as we think about that as the underlying goal, on top of that are the practices, so on-farm and on-ranch production practices that our scientific research and a broader body of scientific research have confirmed are critical for rebuilding soil health. So as we think about climate-smart agriculture, it is tied to certain production practices like putting acres under cover crop acres under minimal till, no till, increasing rotations, input optimization, agroforestry. And on the ranching side, it's the scaling of regenerative grazing land management plans.
0: So do you see a difference in in the way that you talk to people? And I know you're talking about this a lot, a difference between climate smart and regenerative agriculture. Are they the same thing? Are they different? How, How do you navigate that?
1: That is a great question. Where I stay rooted is in what the outcomes we're looking for are. And for both, as I see it, it is rebuilding soil health for those climate change mitigating and the opportunities to reverse reverse and halt biodiversity loss.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, But it is, I think part of the issue right now is around the definitions and how people are talking about it, but I think that that's a good way to to frame it. So how is the Nature Conservancy involved in promoting climate smart agriculture practices? What in your role and and, and other people in the organization's role, what are you all working on? Yeah, so the focus on soil health started in about 2015,
1: 2016. And from that, again, kind of the, the very tactical focus has then been around scaling the adoption of these practices that we and the scientific research have proven are critical for rebuilding soil health. So we have teams on the ground in most critical agriculture states in the US that are working directly with ag retailers and farm groups and other actors kind of in the the supply chain to support the scaling of the adoption of these practices. We also have agronomists that are working on the research side, right? So continuing to try to build up the research to support the why behind adopting these practices. And something we've been trying to do is also work on building up the economic case, which remains uh, a challenge. So we've been working at that level. We also work on the policy level. So we have folks both, both at, at state at the state level working on policy to support resources to scale these practices and then also at the federal level so at the farm bill for example a hot topic right now yeah. cuz it's coming up so we so we've got boots on the ground folks we have agronomists and economists we have policy folks and then the particular body of work I lead I call I call it innovation as a service so I see myself serving those folks on our team so they feed me, because they've been working on this since about 2015, what they see as roadblocks to actually scaling adoption. So why, because frankly, the numbers on the practices are remain frustratingly low, the adoption of practices. And so what they feed me is what they're seeing from boots on the ground, what the roadblocks are to actually scaling practice adoption. And then what, what I get the privilege to do is then look at the technology ecosystem and say, are there some interesting technologies or innovative solutions that we think might mitigate, circumvent, or disrupt some of those roadblocks that exist to actual on-the-ground
0: adoption? So I want to hit both of those topics. I'll hit them separately. So what are some of the challenges and the roadblocks that you see?
1: Well, there are a number. Um, so let me think. I'm just thinking, I will share one critical challenge is the financial risk to an operation actually adopting a new practice like cover crops. So there is not only, not just the cost, the literal cost of planting, uh, managing, and all the decisions and and human labor around actually implementing the practice, but then there's also risk around whether or not it's going to impact subsequent subsequent year yields. And so one of, in the technology ecosystem, there was a company that we saw that's a fintech company called Grower's Edge that has, is using warranties as a way to de-risk the adoption of new technologies. And we saw an opportunity to partner with them to develop a warranty to de-risk the adoption of cover crops. So it is exactly to address that financial risk to the introduction of a new practice. And then we also are working, we're piloting this year, a second warranty to de-risk a nutrient management strategy for farm operations in the Chesapeake Bay region. So that's one example of just of a real risk. That's a roadblock is yeah. financial risk to your farm operation. A second one that uh example that I'll share is on the ranching side. What the scientific research has suggested is the kind of regenerative practice or, or kind of more ideal reg- um, practice is an intensive grazing management strategy. Well, an intensive grazing land management strategy requires additional herd management. It's The word intense is real for, <laughs> for multiple reasons. It's also intensive on your human resources. And one of the challenges that our team on the ground sees is fixed fence. So, literal fence remains a challenge to actually being able to implement this more intensive rotational uh, grazing strategy.
0: Because the so animals want to go where the animals want to go, not just where you put them, right?
1: Well, it's that if you have already fence established, it's difficult to then implement a new pattern. Mm, okay, so, and so the the fence is a is a challenge to kind of implementing that vision of this more intensive, active management of your herd. And so we saw an opportunity to invest in a company called Vents, which is a virtual herd management solution. So it is actually a virtual herd management solution that it's early. You know, most of these technologies are early, but if if we can, if it's feasible and can work, it would be, basically our regenerative grazing lands team has shared that Without some type of virtual herd management solution, we will not be able to scale what we believe is necessary for regenerative grazing. So that that fence as a roadblock is almost insurmountable, and we need some type of alternative to manage herds. And so that's what this solution, we're piloting that in Kansas, New Mexico, and Colorado.
0: So, how do you as an organization, like in it, using that example with the fencing, how do you get involved? Are you providing funding? Are you providing connectivity? You connect the right people. Do you have boots on the ground that are helping them implement? What, what's your role?
1: Yeah, so for these, we made a, a passive equity investment in the companies. And then we have set up these pilots to actually test the solutions on the ground for the conservation impact that we see and business outcomes. This is something I'm quite excited about, is this idea of making sure that we're testing solutions not just for the conservation that we're looking for, but also understanding what the potential benefits are to enact to the business which if we want to see solutions adopted and scaled, we, we must be looking at both, right? We, we have to be thinking about what the business outcomes are for introducing these new technologies in order to implement the climate smart agricultural production practices that we really want to see scale. Mm-hmm.
0: What are some of the other innovations that you're seeing? Um, or if there's anything that you're not seeing that you think you know someone should be working on, what what sort of innovations are you looking at?
1: So another challenge that we continue to see is the realities for profitably implementing precision agriculture systems, so precision application systems remains. Very difficult. And the actual on-farm numbers of who's actually implementing precision systems remains lower than we would like. And so we also saw a company out of Australia that faces, so in Australia, they're facing severe herbicide resistance. So they they have some actual tremendous pressure to figure out how they can actually in their they have large scale row crop systems, how they can actually profitably implement a precision application system. They were using the standard John Deere case, New Holland equipment, and it wasn't it didn't allow them to in a cost effective way implement the precision application that they wanted so it is a husband and wife team that is building an autonomous tractor platform to be able to do that in large scale row crop operations, to be able to implement precision application. So that's another
0: technology. So that's that's gonna have an effect on herbicide resistance just because you're using less. Is that how that solves that? Well, so or the, the idea, other things.
1: Well, so the idea would be
0: first using less, definitely, absolutely,
1: and then thinking about I mean, it's early days on other solutions, but if we can, if you can start other solutions in a precision manner, mm-hmm. the, some of the thinking is you're not running into the same, well, what we, what we're seeing is accelerated resistance. And so it's an incredible challenge for a pharma. like literally it's just kind of this, this racing challenge of this the increasing speed that the resist of what is coming in terms of resistance to existing herbicide and pesticide solutions. And so the idea is we have to be thinking about tools that are more precise to kind of slow down for existing tool herbicide and pesticide tools, and then also thinking about future tools that are coming into the space. How do we actually use them in a, an, in a judicious precision manner in order to minimize impact?
0: So you're looking at biologicals for that as a potential solution? So we have looked
1: at biologicals. I think what is difficult is there, there are, there's, there's some interesting work being done in that space. Mm-hmm. It, we didn't think it made sense necessarily. We have a, a small pool of investment dollars. And so we didn't think it necessarily made sense for the Nature Conservancy to choose winners in that space. But where we have supported is a company called Patternag that is a soil microbiome analysis company. And now they're supporting kind of pre-season analysis of what subsequent season pressures will be and, and giving feedback around what types of treatments may or may not be necessary for corn and soybean producers. But an additional like further outlook solutions that they're looking at is actually being, building out the platform to be able to test biologicals at scale. And this, we think, is incredibly compelling and important, uh, a very important piece of the scaling of biological solutions is actually having a platform that can test what exists, right? Because what we've seen historically, right, are, are very much hammer solutions. They are not nuanced,
0: complicated
1: solutions, right? Like most of the chemical solutions are very much hammer solutions and the type of testing and support system in place to be able to test biologicals will have to be different. And so we think it's important to be supporting kind of that ecosystem to support that future future shift towards more biological tools.
0: That makes so much sense. And that putting attention and financing into those kinds of platforms so that other technologies can bubble up and solve some of those problems, it really makes you have a bigger impact. So that that makes a lot of sense to look at it that way. You had mentioned about just a lot of the risk going to farmers and, and that's what we've seen for years on every technology is like, here, try this, you know, oh, if it doesn't work, you lost, you know, a bunch of acres, sorry about that, or just the time to learn how to use something new. So in the past, a lot of the risk of new technology and new technology adoption has come on to growers and we're all trying to figure out a way to have that not be the case. but. So, what are some of the ways to encourage more farmers and agriculture communities to adopt these types of products and practices on a broader scale?
1: So I believe there, and this is part of the thesis behind us actually investing and engaging in this technology ecosystem. I think what we what we have to continue to support are, are the development of solutions that make the business decision for farm operations to adopt these practices, what we are looking to do is to support the development of solutions that make climate smart production practices the right business decision. The way Bill Gates talks about this is eliminate the green premium. If we're being honest, as you you articulated, the reality is, Where these practices are being adopted is mostly, I shouldn't totally generalize, but it it, it remains elusive for the vast majority of farm operations. Mm -hmm. Because of that green premium, it's more costly to actually implement these practices today for a variety of reasons. And so what we're looking to do as other things are happening, as policy is changing, as herbicide resistance and pesticide resistors, resistance pressures are coming on. What we're also looking to do is build up the technology so that when the tailwinds are sufficient and it to, to ensure that the tools exist for the vast majority of producers to adopt these practices and have that be the right business decision. That's what we're trying to do with with kind of our engaging in the technology and, and innovation, innovative solution space is trying to be ready for when the majority of producers need to switch and they cannot afford to have it to to pay a green premium.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think expecting the rest of the chain to to pay for it, it's just it the whole the whole infrastructure, the whole system needs to change. You know, and, and in produce and trying to get the consumer, you know, that's buying grapes or whatever, to get them to pay more, and it doesn't trickle back to the grower anyway. So it really is this, this. really is a conundrum that I think we're all attacking in different ways, and and it is a place I think where policy and and some of these grants, like from USDA, like if if you can if you can come with a check and say. If you'll try this practice this year, if you'll try all these practices this year and we'll make that, you know, monetarily even or even better, then we're going to we're going to have a much better success and to say, here, take this risk and I hope it works. You
1: know? Yeah. And I should say I, but the Nature Conservancy received one of the Climate Smart Commodities grants to support the um, adoption of the agroforestry practice. So we are looking to we'll be working as most of the grants are structured we'll have many partners but the we're managing the grant and it the goal is to support the implementation of agroforestry on 30,000 acres. Okay.
0: And the idea
1: is as you suggest to reduce the premium so so through for those 30,000 acres reduce the premium for the introduction of agroforestry practice. Trees, reduce the green premium to actually putting trees back in your system and then testing out what that actually means from, you know, actually starting to try to measure the outcomes of that from both the climate change mitigating outcomes and also what that means for the farm operation business model. So we're really thinking about and then using this as as right like the pilot test case for how could this scale? How could this scale in a way, and what is required to scale this in a way that doesn't come with a green premium for the rest of the millions and millions of acres that exist?
0: Excellent. You had talked a little bit at the top about soil health. And so I think this is, I mean, obviously it's not a new idea and all of us that have been involved in agriculture have thought about the importance of the soil, but I was at a, a conference recently and they were saying, you know, for so many years, we just focused on the plant. And it was all about, you know, what's going on with the plant? What's the genetics of the plant? What is, you know, what it's all about the plant, but now there's a little bit this change of focus of saying, okay, what's going on in the soil? And if we can really make the soil healthy, then that has this huge contribution to what's happening with the plant. So can you talk a little bit more about why soil health is is crucial in climate smart agriculture and just how that helps with climate resilience?
1: Well, I love to compare it to what we're also starting to hear in healthcare about our gut microbiomes, right? Yeah. There's just this growing body of research about how our gut microbiomes are not just critical for our physical health, but mental health and all sorts of new, new recognition of, of how absolutely critical our gut microbiome is to us as humans. And the same is true for the soil microbiome, for the planetary outcomes. So healthy soils are critical for sequestering carbon. They are critical for supporting both, for supporting freshwater systems and they're also critical for supporting biodiversity for numer- numerous reasons, not just the biodiversity within soils, but also healthy soil ecosystems are also critical for all kinds of terrestrial animals as well. And so I guess I, I, I sometimes feel maybe it's dramatic, but it, the, we cannot underestimate the, the role that the soil microbiome plays in planetary ecosystem function. So it's not just around greenhouse gas emission reductions, but it is for the for all of the elements to us having a healthy, thriving planet. You know, it, it is just one of the most important thriving, healthy ecosystems that we have that have been kind of forgotten. And then... In turn, have just a tremendous opportunity to support, as we're now recognizing that how we have been going about agriculture production is not sustainable for the long run, and kind of shift in focus towards what we can do while producing agriculture to refoster that the healthy soil microbiome is the most important thing we can do.
0: So, do you think we're paying enough attention? Do you think there needs to be more research, or is it, you know, are we going at it at the right scale and, and time
1: frame? I think it's a real challenge. I mean, you hit on, you know, kind of the rest of this. You met, you touched on the rest of the supply chain, and kind of much of the supply chain is conti- is set up for supporting annual operating practices on farm, and as we really start to shift and recognize the importance of of rebuilding soil health, an annual lens isn't going to be sufficient for really thinking about and getting after this critical action that we need to take around rebuilding soil health. So I would say, I would argue We're starting to see, so lending, for example, right? We're starting to see some creative lending solutions that are thinking about the reality of if you are wanting to shift your, to transform your farm towards a more regenerative system, annual operating loans are are not a good fit for a system approach. So I would say we're starting to see some of that. Another company that we invested in is Sinterra, which was initially focused on, well, is, in, is focused on in-season. They're using uh, sensors, both terrestrial, drone, and then combining that with satellite imagery to support in-season application recommendations. And when we were looking at them, one of the the second or third phase solutions they were looking to build was, could they support ag retailers shifting to its to an outcomes-based business model, because this is one of the other challenges we see along the supply chain. All of the input companies are working on volume. Their businesses are based on volume. And that is in direct conflict to what we're saying is required as you look at climate smart agriculture practices. You know, we really need to shift that system to an outcomes-based model to support this climate smart vision that we have. So I would say there, I think we're moving in the right direction and there are still some real challenges. And we look at just how the supply chain, what the drivers are for different actors within the supply chain. There are still some really serious conflicts.
0: It's definitely, all of these things are systems and it seems like everything that, we try to do something good in one part of the system and then it has ramifications. And are you seeing any unintended consequences? Like we press here to do something good and then it pops up here and it's not so good and you're you seeing things like that?
1: So one challenge that, that we've seen is the focus on carbon, mm may and 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 it's not that you know there's you know we we are there's a concern around if we focus too much on carbon that isn't look that isn't actually a systems based approach because what we what we would really like to see is an ecosystems approach right where we're really thinking about how are you impacting the ecosystem as a whole so that would mean looking at greenhouse gas emissions, and impact to freshwater systems, and impact to biodiversity outcomes. The challenge is, and it is is also still a challenge around carbon, is measurement. But that challenge also applies as we think about how does it impact freshwater systems, and how does it impact biodiversity? So it's not that we necessarily have perfect tools to suggest as an alternative, but I would say some concern is the the focus on carbon could challenge this kind of more ecosystems approach which which we think is is better as we're thinking about the role of agricultural production systems because it isn't just around greenhouse gas emissions it, you know they also have an incredible role to play in rebuilding our freshwater systems and halting and reversing biodiversity loss.
0: That's that's really fascinating because it, it is you know if, if we focus too much on just solving one piece of it, then what else are you leaving out? And so that makes a lot of sense. So, getting out your crystal ball, what do you see is the future of climate smart agriculture and how it can contribute to global climate change mitigation and adaptation efforts?
1: I hesitate because sometimes I feel I'm being too dramatic, but it's not how it can contribute it is how it must contribute because the footprint that agriculture has and the handprint so like the the positive the flip to that right the 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 positive role that it can play there is no other lever that exists that can actually be a positive in terms of climate change mitigation and halting and reversing biodiversity loss. So it's not how can climate smart agriculture play, you know, how can it play a role? It's like it must play a role and then gets to how do we see the future of climate smart agriculture. What I would argue is that we need more attention put And and this is biased, of course, because of the body of work that I lead. But I think we really need more attention around what are the tools that that are going to make it feasible for the vast majority of farm operations and ranch operations to actually implement what we're suggesting are these practices. We really have to think about what tools are required in the face of severe labor shortages, in the face of increasing volatility, right? It's becoming more complex. So how do we actually support in this, in the reality of today and what's coming, how do we actually support the vast majority of these operations to to profitably implement these practices? I think that has to be a front and center focus because it is a a must.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, Renee, it's always great to talk to you and dip into your wisdom and what you're up to. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much,
1: Bonnie. This is a fantastic podcast and I'm just grateful to have the chance to share.
0: That's it for today's episode of Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season on Climate Smart Agriculture is funded in part by a grant from USDA for Climate Smart Commodities. See you next time.